pretty bold yourself. I mean, just on on LinkedIn, are you finding any challenges, issues, especially in your role in government and your public facing role? I don't care. <laughs> it, it, here, for me, uh, the big thing about it is this has got to change, right? The system has gone along too long to continue down this journey. We had a fascist for a president. He brought out the worst in America. I truly believe that Donald Trump was better for our country than Hillary Clinton would have been. Not because Donald Trump was a great person. It's because Donald Trump brought out the stuff that people were keeping in the back of their minds below the surface, not speaking out loud, but using that bias in every aspect of our lives. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 1980 podcast. In this season, we are talking about racial equity, racism in America. And today I'm talking to two really incredible people, Joseph Todd and Aisha Joseph. Joseph and I uh, met each other at Tukwila, city of Tukwila, when he was the CTO there. And I saw him posting, and I've been following along with his work, and he had posted something on Aisha. And I was so awestruck by that conversation on LinkedIn that I reached out and I said, hey, can you two of you get together and hop on a call so we can record this? So this is that recording. And throughout this podcast, I'm going to be jumping in and giving a little bit of color commentary to the conversation. Let's get into it. I formed this company in 2020, just before the pandemic. And the premise of 1980 is about transitions. I was born in 1980. And it's a transition generation. And after George Floyd, I saw myself as that Asian cop that sat by on the side while George Floyd was murdered. And so I transitioned a lot of my effort into really understanding my role in racism and you know doing something about it. So here I am having conversations with people and I wanted to get a comment that I saw that Joseph posted on LinkedIn. He said, our capacity and willingness to love the unlovable is the true essence of being a black American. Even while not being loved back, we still love anyways. What does that mean? I'd like to understand that a little bit more and unpack that. So maybe I'll start with Joseph, because I think it's your post, and then we'll jump to Aisha. Well, it was built off of a message that Aisha sent out, and I just resonated with it so much. But I also remember when I was coming up as a kid and being a guy from Mobile, Alabama, my father and I speaking about the fact that loving our country, loving what it could be, even though it didn't love us back. And I, and I mean in every way. They don't love us back in healthcare. They don't love us back in giving us gainful employment. They don't love us back in giving us uh, resources. And, and, I, and I use giving, giving us lightly because we earned it. There, there's no giving us something for free. We earned it. Years and years of slavery off our backs, this country has done and amazingly in the world. But every time someone says, in a, as a black American says that we want the fullness of being an American, I always hear some junk about, oh, well, you, you want somebody to give you something. No, I just want what's owed. I mean, I love everything Joseph said. There's been so many 
Black people who have sacrificed and suffered just for this country in multiple ways. So, I mean, if you think about the Black soldiers who served in wars, right, but then they had to come home and face the fact that they were fighting for freedoms in other countries, but where was that freedom for them when they arrived back on American soil? And so, I mean, it's it's just incredible how we continue to give in our service and our in some of our patriotism, right? And also in the fact that we <laughs> we haven't or we're not looking for revenge in a sense, right? We're not looking to tear up everything because of what has happened to us. And I think that is one of the true essence of love. You know, it's it's not seeking revenge, right? And so I think there's multiple ways that that black people have 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 loved this country while not loving them back. It seems like an understated comment here because black people have loved this country while not it not loving them back. On January 6th, a group of people charged and rushed the Capitol, defending against Donald Trump, who called for white nationalism and called for just blatant racism, as Joseph mentioned earlier. And so I didn't understand why would they care? Are they afraid? I don't understand. Let's find out. And it's like, why would they choose to care? And I think that as Black Americans, we, it's like when you love something, you want to hold it accountable, right? And you want to make sure that they're living up to the ideals that they can. Like, even when you have children, right? Like there's a, you discipline them or you kind of point out where they've gone wrong because you love them and you want them to course correct. And I think if, you know, Blacks didn't care, there, there would just be, I don't know how to put it. If we didn't care, there wouldn't be such a fight to hold America to the ideals that it professes, that it has. And so, yeah, I love what Joseph had wrote. It's, it's so true. We, we continue to give so much of ourselves in various capacities and this country while, I mean, we're faced with, my goodness, hate crimes, while we're faced with being discriminated against, while we're faced with higher rates of police brutality, while we're faced with discrimination in the workplace. And, and it's exhausting. It's really exhausting. And I, I see what you're saying is just black Americans just have this unconditional love. And you both speak with such passion, like, but, but like, why, like, why is there such love for this country that's treated you so poorly? I think because what it was meant to embody is beautiful, right? Like what the pursuit of, you know, just happiness and life and liberty and all those things and the ideals, which were, which we were actually written out of and not thought about of when the, when the constitution was written, we see how lovely that it is. And we just want it to apply equally to us as well. So the ideas and the uh, values of like free speech and um, freedom of religious expression and being able to come and, you know, 
make anything of yourself and all of these wonderful values that America stands for, they are in fact beautiful things. However, they have not been equally afforded to us. And I think for me personally, it's, you know, that's, that's part of why I think America has a such potential to be um, the greatest country in the world. I don't think it is now, but it has that potential if it would apply all of those ideas and those values to everyone equally. Right. I totally agree with Aisha. She's spot on. It's a belief in the beautiful world that this could be, the, the beautiful country that this could be. The really shine and light on the hill that Ronald Reagan talked about <laughs> and being a light for democracy across the world, right? We have to like live up to being better and better than what we really are because we've been the worst the over years and years, but we've been telling ourselves that we were better and it's and it's a love of something and what it could be well i w- I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic experience because I think there's a dichotomy of experience during this pandemic. I'm looking at my white friends and colleagues, and we're talking about baking sourdough bread, riding their Peloton bikes, and they did the uh, Blackout Tuesday on Instagram. While this whole time, you know, we had George Floyd, the insurrection that recently happened. And personally for myself, I've been tracking my heart rate and, and my sleep and heart rate variability, and it's all tanked ever since the insurrection. What is the black experience like since, let's call it George Floyd, the insurrection, I mean, how are you feeling in your bodies? Like, how is it impacting you? Uh, Aisha. I think it's been different for a lot of people, right? So I don't want to, I can't speak to the whole black experience, um, but I can speak from my perspective and how I felt. So for me, it's given me and I feel others permission to say the things that we've always wanted to say without regard of consequence. I think for many people, it kind of catapulted us into this mindset of, I'm not going to be quiet any longer about the injustices that are happening, whether it's in my workplace or in the world. And I feel again, it gave a lot of people permission to say enough is enough. We need to start speaking out and we need to start holding people accountable. And you can see that by the transition of the conversations that started happening on social media, particularly with LinkedIn, which has been known for its very conservative content. But now you're seeing, you know, (laughs) lively conversations about race, race relations in the workplace and outside of it. So I say for me, the black experience, it's been, it's been very interesting. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's also been interesting is because a lot of people now have, and not saying it's a bad thing, right? But now have this urgent need to be educated on these issues, which we know have existed for so long. And we've personally had to grapple with it. And so there's this element of, okay, now let's look to the black community to educate us on what's happening. You know, it's like, they're just waking up and they're like shaking us out of bed. Like, 
oh my gosh, do you see what has happened? Like, do you know it's been going on the last 400 years? Yes, I'm, I've been living it. We've been living it, you know? <laughs> so it's been really interesting. I mean, I, I haven't noticed. I think it's really cool that you track your, your sleep and your heart rate and things of that sort. I wanted to also note in this instance, uh, just the mere tracking of my bios, not necessarily relevant. I uh, recognize and realize it's a fairly privilege to even have all this equipment and gear to sit in there and recognize to track my bio data. But I went on an experiment to really understand how does the world impact my physical being? I was reading this book from therapy called Your Body Knows. And the pain, the anxiety, everything manifests itself in physical parts. Whether you're not sleeping, weight gain, other parts of your body is impacted by this. And I notice as I'm tracking my heart rate variability, as I'm tracking my mental health state, kind of how, how quiet or how loud my mind is, that after the insurrection, my body went to this almost cocoon-like protective state. And I wanted to understand it a little bit more. And so I'll follow that in a future episode, just around biohacking and understanding your body a little bit more mental health that's more for a future episode just on a practical level that's awesome i really haven't noticed any change or shift i think maybe mentally emotionally i do know that sometimes because of everything that's happening because i am vocal on social media platforms the pushback can take a toll and so that's one thing that i that I deal with here and there. I remember actually one night I was crying and I can't remember why. And I had to just call my friends and, and they just, just really were, com- was comforting. I don't know if it was in, it was a response to something that happened in social media, but yeah, for the most part, I just, I feel like, again, it's, it's just, while it's been a tragic, it was really tragic what happened. It kind of opened the doorway to, Lots of people being able to feel like, you know, they can now speak about certain things. Some people still are afraid, but it's a movement I think that we, we're just not going to go back from, right? It's like it's a new era in accountability, I think. And so that's the best way that I can describe how I've, I've kind of witnessed the Black experience post-George Floyd. And Joseph and I talked about that as well. Just kind of, I'm asking, you know, Joseph, you're a public official and I'm seeing you post some pretty harsh comments on LinkedIn and why are you doing that? And I think we started the conversation about that and it's just, you know, it's time to just keep this out in the limelight and it's not okay anymore. Yeah, it's absolutely not okay anymore. (laughs) And I'm just, I'm just completely done with not talking about this stuff out in the open because what happens to us happens out in the open. Right. We get abused by the police out in the open, not in secret. We get terrible health care in our communities out in the open, not in secret. We get terrible access to resources out in the open and not as a secret. And so we have to talk about it. We have to talk about those experiences. We have to make sure people know. We have to make people understand that we are seeing it. We're, We're not oblivious to what's going on. And so I also think it's pretty cool that you're uh, tracking your sleeping heart as well. <laughs> I think I should start doing so as well. But, but, I, but I think mentally, 
it, it's been trying for me because I find myself, you know, my son is black and I find myself worried about him more and more on a daily basis than I did in the past. I worried about him a lot in the past, but now with the just being in your face and folks being just racist out in the open, I, I mean, I, I just kind of live in fear on him being himself. My, my son, is a, he's an amazing kid and he's pretty open and he loves to play around and he's got the great engaging attitude. And I worry like, is somebody going to take that out of context? And, and it's ridiculous. That I even have to, I have to say, hey, 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 son, don't don't be yourself out in public because uh, somebody might take it the wrong way. And so that's why I'm talking about it. I'm tired of it. it, He should not have to deal with this in the future. My I have a, a niece that's here on vacation from California. She should not have to worry about this in the future. And it's up to us now to make sure that doesn't they don't have to worry about it. Personally, I am considered generation 1.5. So my parents were the Vietnamese boat people. And so they were, I'm a product of the Vietnamese war, the Vietnam war. And as I'm trying to reconcile who I am and where I belong, what I'm coming to the conclusion is I have no home. You know, I come to the United States here and with the air quote Chinese virus, you know, people say, go home to China. You're not welcome here. And I can't go to Vietnam because I'm not Vietnamese. Right? I have no home. And I think what I'm finding is just this culture that has been formed. What I'm missing is I'm missing you, Joseph. I'm missing you, Aisha. I'm missing the love that you two resonate and this culture this world that we live in is so full of just hate and anti-love and so how do we bring more of the two of you out into the light and bring more of just this pure love that you bring like i think that's what's that's what i'm needing personally in my life and i'm just honored to, to be in the presence of both of you but wow that's that's beautiful i think one of the things that I strive to do on LinkedIn is to build empathy and thus love for other people, regardless of differences. And it's garnered me some enemies, but it's also changed a lot of people for the better. And so my position is I... You know, even though I'm 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 a black woman, I'm I'm very pro social justice and all those good things. People have these misconceptions. Well, since she's pro black and she's saying X Y Z, like you know, then obviously she hates white people. Obviously, she hates Republicans. Obviously, she's a Democrat. Obviously, in this all this check the box, and it's like well. No, <laughs> that's not who I am, right? You know, I don't paint a brush, a broad stroke and say all Trump supporters are racist. I don't paint a broad stroke and say all Republicans are racist. People are very nuanced. 
and they have different dimensions. And when we start looking at people beyond labels, it's when we can really start to engage with one another another and understand one another and really begin to to look at things from someone else's perspective and thus help to cultivate that empathy and that love. And so that's one of the things that I try to do, you know, whenever I post and uh, and there are and there are people who who again who I've mentioned have have really have taken to that because I really think that's that's what we need, right? Like you said, it's 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 medicine for the soul. Love is medicine for the soul. And I know that some people don't have that capacity, right? It's like, well, if you're racist or you're, you know, this or that, like I can't deal with you. Like I don't want to deal with you. You you know, it's it's all these <laughs> things, but you know, that's not my approach. I don't I don't think that's going to make anything better, right? And then I also think that when we do that, we are, all of us have faults. And so we then start to position our faults as somewhat morally superior to the faults of others, which to me is just really unacceptable. So, so yeah, I, I come check out the people who hang with me on LinkedIn. (laughs) They are, they're my community, my tribe of people who, who, who get it and who do not feed into this to this just atmosphere of hate because i think that's what people want i'm i know it's it's we have the right to be angry about things we have a right to be upset but for me i don't ever want that anger or me holding someone accountable to translate into anything but loving them i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> You are just, you're a gift to this world. That's just, I mean, you're just so rare and, and, and it should be the norm, but it's the, it's the, you're the odd one out in that one. But So Aisha, I'm, I'm looking at your website. You do some personal coaching and consulting in the world of diversity and inclusion. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I'm primarily focused on anti-racism coaching at the moment. And I work with individuals who are struggling with either their feelings or experience around privilege, around allyship, around racism, around how to navigate corporate America as a person of color. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the heart of the work that I'm doing right now. It's really helping people to challenge, to be reflective and to challenge the beliefs that they previous held so that they can replace them with new ones. And that's my, I help them with that journey through a coach. (laughs) And Joseph, can you share a little bit about yourself professionally? What are you uh, currently working on and how can we support you and uh, your family as well? Well, from a... A government perspective, and we're really focusing on digital equity and making sure that everybody has equitable access to service. And and one of the big things is really trying to help folks understand from a heart and soul perspective in organizations that diversity is more than just hiring a bunch of black people and putting them in positions. It's about creating a structure 
that allows people to be who they are and strive and be able to take those pieces of themselves and provide them back to the organization to make it a better place. And, you know, I spent a lot of time when I was at the Boeing company, when I was at Alaska, trying to make sure that that kind of stuff was infused in organizations. And, and for me right now, it's even more of a task. And I mean, it's a truly a task. It's a tangible task. It's not like some frilly idea, some theory. I'm really pushing organizations to be the best they can be and live up to be diverse organizations. I mean, you may have seen one of my posts is where I'm really pushing King County where when we make hiring, I'm sorry, when we make purchases of software and services, the companies that we work with are going to have to meet what our goals are from an equity and social justice perspective, or we won't buy your software. And and those folks need to understand, like, <laughs> you 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 have to you have to join us in this engagement and making this world better, and not continue to build bias and that kind of stuff into the the applications and stuff that you implement. I mean, uh, LinkedIn is one of them, right? LinkedIn is has bias built in, and and by design. And so it's those it's those things that I'm really as a professional that I'm pushing against. I want to thank the two of you, and as Black Americans solving this problem, right? I, I can't believe that we're putting the onus on you to solve these problems and these companies and people that are from privileged positions aren't solving these problems. And so I appreciate that. I'm going to start wrapping up the recording of the podcast itself. One thing I want to just make public for both of you is I'd like to contribute a certain dollar amount. I'm going to email you individually just one, because I think I want to respect and, and contribute for the value of your time and simply not just taking advantage of you because of your role in this. And I think I want to set an example so I'll send a note, either you can take the personal money yourself and or um, I'll, I'll donate to a, a charity of your choice. Other than that, I just really value both of you and I hope we can stay in touch and continue this dialogue and keep up the work. So that last bit was a little bit unplanned. I hadn't planned on, I had previously not paid any of my podcast guests uh, any funds for this. And in the middle of it, I realized Am I taking advantage of someone during Black History Month? Am I taking advantage of people because of my platform? And so I felt specifically for Black Americans and just, we should be paying people for their expertise. We should be paying them for their time. Just like we would anyone else. And so there we go. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one was a little hard for me because it's, it's a tough episode. You can feel the pain, but also you can feel the love. And I'm hopeful. It better be good. It better come out. It better work. Because I think with the love that you heard from this conversation from Aisha and Joseph, if there isn't love, there's no hope. There's no future. See you in the next one. <laughs>